Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question, Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are reviewing Dream a Little Dream, the classic 1984? 89. <laughs> the classic 1989 Mind Swap movie starring Corey Feldman and Corey Haim and Meredith Salinger. And before we get into our movie, Steve, what snack do we have today? Uh, today's non-sponsored snack <laughs> is Nerds. That our means flashback that... snack from our childhood. Yeah, I, again, if you haven't heard us before, these are nostalgic snacks for us because we haven't eaten them in a long time, but obviously nerds are still being made. So we'll shake the box, double-sided, and while Steve tr tries some, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the history of nerds. Now, we do have to admit, these are newfangled nerds because they're double-dipped. They are double-dipped. So one half of the side is cherry lemonade, Yep. and the other half is watermelon apple. Right off the bat, they're smaller than I remember. So, some people say that nerds were named after a reference to the Dr. Seuss book, If I Ran a Zoo. It's one of the creatures the narrator collects. Okay. So, it's not necessarily supposed to be, like, the uncool thing, but rather the little creature drawn on the box. So, they're little, kind of, if you haven't had them before, they're little rock-shaped tart candy. And it's a small box. It's usually double-sided, except there is a version of Nerds that's like rainbow, where they're all mixed together. But this is um, a candy that started in 1983 by the Willy Wonka Candy Company, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. So it was part of Quaker to promote Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, bought by Nestle in 1988, and now it's owned by the Ferrara Candy Company. Um, they originally were strawberry and grape, so one half of each in that double-flavored divided box. But now they have a lot of different um, types. And I think it's kind of cool. Have you ever seen that show that used to have Mark Summers and then it had Alfonso Ribeiro? It's um, Unwrapped. Yeah, Unwrapped. Yeah, how it's made. So they basically take these large spinning containers and they're filled with sugar crystals and then more sugars added and it, the crystals kind of go around in this tumbler and they start forming these little rocks. And then once that's formed into kind of the nerd shape, then they're coated with that candy coating oh, with okay. the flavor. And then they're put in their different, you know, colored boxes. There have been a lot of spinoffs of this. We have the original, but I almost bought the nerd's rope, which is like a like a gelatin rope with nerds kind of stuck to it. Yeah, I'm they, glad you didn't. Yeah. You have to go with this. They also have jelly beans, gumball, and a cereal in 1986. Nerd cereal, I remember. I totally forgot about it until I was doing research. <laughs> and I, I, they had the nerd cereal box was also divided in two. It was double-sided, yep. We were not allowed to have it, but I remember... No, it was super sugar. I remember really wanting it. Oh. Um, gummy clusters and a candy bar that's in the UK. In the 1990s, do you remember dweebs? No. They were like bigger nerds and a little bit softer, a little less sour, and the, they came in three compartments instead of just two. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were only out for a little bit. Um, they also have Nerds Blizzard at Dairy Queen. Okay. <laughs> and apparently Nerds plus soft serve ice cream was not a great match, so that's also been discontinued. Mm -hmm. And they have nerd, candy nerd slushies, I'm guessing at like... 
7-Eleven. Okay. And a Nerdalicious in the UK, which is Nerd Licorice. Oh, gosh. That doesn't sound I, good. I want to, if, listen, I know that we have listeners now in the UK. If you have <laughs> eaten Nerdalicious, please reach out to us on Facebook or on our blog because I really, I need to know if it's gross or if it's good. <laughs> like, I want to know so bad. So, so you try yours and let me talk about this ooh. for a minute. Um, I just, I had some a little bit, but nerds, as you said, they started in 1983. So this is something that definitely hits my childhood. I was about six years old when nerds came out. Yeah. So I remember as a small child getting nerds and being super excited. Now, of course, they weren't double dipped or anything like that. Back in that day, it was, you know, it was one flavor per side. And mm -hmm. I think it was like grape or cherry on the other side or, you know, strawberry or I don't know, maybe like... Watermelon. Watermelon or apple mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but I remember loving Nerds. And what the awesome thing about them was, first off, they had the two compartments. So you could either open both and mix them, or you could have just one flavor or the other. Mm -hmm. But also, because the compartments kind of reclose, Nerds was the kind of candy that if you got a box of Nerds, it could last you a little while. Yeah. Right? You didn't have to eat them all. It wasn't chocolate like it's going to melt. Mm. So a box of Nerds you could keep for a while, especially because they're very sweet. So, like, sucking down a whole box of Nerds at once is really gonna, is really going to give you a sugar so high. So, here's the difference between Steve and Megan. We just got into an argument over this about ice cream. <laughs> because somebody is very frugal and saves, and somebody does not. There's no way I would have saved a box of Nerds. If I get a box of Nerds, that thing is going. Really? Well, I don't know. Honestly, they're a little sour. I remember being quite so sour. But also, because they're sour, they're not my favorite. Mm. So I wouldn't have bought them, like, I wouldn't have asked my mom to buy them, like, at 7-Eleven or at a grocery store. But I would have, I remember getting a smaller box at Halloween. Do you remember, like, the mini yes. boxes? you get the mini boxes at Halloween. But the problem with the mini boxes is it's only one flavor. Okay. They're not split. Because yeah. Because it's so small. Those you can pound down because they're little. And they're but but I mean a box of nerds, Megan, that's not a one sit that's no. like you're gonna get that's like a sugar high times yeah, ten. That's fine. Um but they're too sour for me. These I I like the cherry lemonade, I like the watermelon apple flavors. Mm. Um they are a bit sour, but I do like them. I have to be honest, I think nerds probably rank somewhere in my top five candy. Really? <laughs> yeah, I like nerds a lot. Oh, that's interesting. This box actually we got at the biggest candy store in Ohio. Yes. We went on vacation to Cleveland. Because that's the kind of thing Steve and I do. Because that's a you know huge attraction site. <laughs> but um, it was really fun, and we did the we did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yep. and we went to some other really cool museums. The NFL I, Hall of Fame in Canton. Yep. In Canton, but really, one of the best things that we did is we stumbled upon this like biggest candy shop. It's a warehouse. It's a it's it's multiple warehouses yeah. and an ice cream parlor. Yeah, and, it's, and you can get pretty much any candy. It's ever. really, really. It was really pretty awesome. I'm so glad we stumbled upon it. So, dream a little dream. So we will go with clouds. Okay. So. Out of five for the snack and out of ten for the movie. So one out of five. What are you putting on nerds? Ah, uh, it's good, but I'm gonna give nerds a four. So not as good as the maple candy last week. Oh, yeah. You know, the maple candy was good, but the nerds, just because they do... Uh, the only reason I want to give nerds a five is because 
uh, to me, I like them a lot, but they are a little too sweet and a little too sour to to just woof down. Yeah. So, you know, usually I have a like little handful at a time. So because of that, because they have to be done in moderation, I'm going to give them a four. Okay. Four out of five clouds. I'm going to give them a three. They are, yeah, it's really tart at first and then really sweet after that. So not my favorite, but I didn't hate them. I mean, if I were going trick-or-treating with a mask on so nobody knows my age and I got some nerds, <laughs> I would eat them. Um, yeah, okay. I picked these. because. So Steve said, why did you pick nerds? And I said, because they're nerds in the movie, right? Because I have not seen this movie since like probably 1990-something. Yeah. Um, and Steve's like, they are not nerds in the movie. Are you thinking of weird science? And I was like, yes. And he said... That doesn't even star the two Corys. <laughs> I was yep. like, okay. They're not nerds in the movies, but we kind of like the candy. So. Yeah. Three and, and a half clouds. clouds. Three and a half clouds. For out of five. Out of five for nerds. And let's get into the movie. So, Steve, can you give us a summary? Sure. Basic summary is um, you have this older gentleman, Coleman, who is really into physics and dream study and meditation. And basically his whole goal is he wants to try to find ways to extend his life. His diet is very select and he eats just healthy food and tofu because he wants to spend as much time with his wife as he can. Unfortunately, it's very obvious at the beginning that all of his study into this He's not spending time with his wife. I know, but he just loves his nice wife. He does wife love his nice wife, so Gina, much. so much. But he's so he's into all of this stuff that he's like, you know, dreams, study, and meditation, new age things, trying to enhance and extend their lives together. Um, and then also you have Bobby, who's Corey Feldman, who's a high school student. Um, he's kind of like a loser a little bit, mm -hmm. um, you know, almost like a dropout kind of kid. Um, and his best friend Dinger, who's Corey Haim. And Bobby uh, just is like his life's a mess. Yeah. And uh, he always cuts through Coleman's, Coleman's yard because it's right near the high school, which drives Coleman crazy. <laughs> and he always yells at them and things like that. Um, and of course, so near the beginning of the movie, we see Coleman and his wife spending all this time together. And we see Bobby's problems and, and everything. He's failing in school. You know, he's got a crush on his, one of his best friend's girlfriends. It's just all these problems that he has. His parents will get into parents. But his parents yeah. don't communicate well with him. At night, it, it, near midnight one night, Coleman convinces his wife Gina to go out into the yard and do these meditation katas with him. As Bobby comes running and cuts through the yard. And... Bobby's friend's girlfriend, uh, Lainey, who he's got a crush on, comes riding through the yard on her bike, and the two of them collide at the same time that the old couple are doing their kata, and all of a sudden you just see the two teenagers laying there and no old couple. Yeah, they disappear, basically. Yes. Bobby wakes up the next morning with his best friend and his parents looking at him, and he's Coleman now in mm -hmm. Bobby's body. Right. And so he goes through this long adventure, basically, of trying to figure out what happened to Gina. Gina is also transferred into Lainey's body, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of backed up through his dreams. Every time he sleeps at night and has a dream, he sees he's himself again, and he talks to Bobby, who apparently is in the dream world, um, and doesn't want to come back out. 
Yeah, so it's a little <laughs> bit of a switch. For those of you who listened to our Freaky Friday episode a week or so ago, that was a true, like, mind swap where the mom's mind goes into the daughter's, the daughter's mind goes into the mom's, right? And yeah. then they learn about each other. This really is kind of a twist on that. Yeah, because... Coleman goes into Bobby's body, but Bobby does not. No. The old people disappear. <laughs> yes. Um, and there's little hints that Gina may be in Lainey, but because Lainey like starts picking up habits that Gina had, things like that. But she does not remember being Gina. She still remembers being Lainey. Yeah, and there's other things that she forgets <clears throat> as well. Like she forgets <clears throat> choreography and she forgets... Like her, her locker, locker combination, combination yep. and, and some other things about like her mom and things like that. So, so he basically is he makes a deal with Bobby in his dream that he's going to try to fix Bobby's life right. so that Bobby would want to come back. Does deal with his parents a little bit in the SATs and, and, and the SATs, and he does kind of sort of fix his friends a little bit. But it goes through this sequence where he's also at the same time kind of courting Lainey, yeah, behind his friend's back. Mm-hmm. Um. And his best friend, Dinger, keeps warning him about this, saying that Joel, their friend, is going to get angry and beat him up. But through this whole thing, he's kind of having her Gina slash Lini fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't figure out how to turn himself back soon, he's going to lose Gina. Yeah, because Gina's mind never fully transferred. Is kind of what it leads to, yeah. Right. And it's interesting because it's a bit of a, not a mystery, but you never really understand how that worked. Yeah. And so, after all of this, he tries to switch back, and Lainey ends up falling asleep. They're not able to basically redo the kata meditation, and he ends up going to sleep as well. He dreams that they're all gone except for him, and then he wakes up to find that he's back at the end, and that his wife is returned, and she doesn't remember anything. So he woke, he woke up to find that things were returned back to normal. Gina's returned. It was not all a dream, though, because his best friend Jack remembers. And then also he sees Bobby and Lainey, who are now together. And Bobby is a bit more respectful. Mm-hmm. But and also implies that he lied to him about Gina being able to come back. He, he matter of fact, he says he lied yes. in the dream right beforehand, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's how it ends. So the, the older couple is together. Bobby and Lainey are together. Yeah. And then, and then we set up for a, what seems to be a really bad sequel. Yes, but this one, is, <laughs> this movie I feel is pretty good because you, le- you, you end up with Bobby learning to kind of respect teenage life and learn that his life wasn't as bad as he thought. Uh-huh. And there are positives, especially now that he's in love with Lainey. Yeah. Right? And Coleman has learned that in all this time wasted searching to extend his life, he was missing it with Gina. And so now he's just going to focus his life with Gina. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the cute lesson at the end. Yeah. Right? So a few fun facts before we get into our memories in the review. Dream a Little Dream. Um, the title of it is taken from the song, Dream a Little Dream of Me, which until I did research for this show, I just, I always thought it was the Mamas and the Papas song from 1968. Okay. With um, Cass Elliot on the lead vocals, but it's actually was written in 1931, which I had no idea. It was written by a songwriter, Fabian Andre and Wilbur Schwant. Okay. Lyrics by Gus Kahn. So a songwriting team, but it was first recorded by Ozzy Nelson oh, in okay. 1931. Um, then it was done by a number of different groups. Um, 
Another famous version of that same year was Wayne King and his orchestra, but it was done also covers of it by Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, Bing Crosby, Doris Day, Nat King Cole, and even like Michael Buble and Eddie Vedder. Which yeah, that one of- surprised <laughs> me. Michael Bublé did not, but Eddie Vedder did. Mm. Um, the highest chart rating was the Mamas and the Papas version, but a number of people have done this song. For the movie, there are two different versions and then a third version that combines those two. So Mel Torme does the opening. And then Mickey Thomas, the lead singer of Starship, which used to be Jefferson Starship. So depending on when you know that band. And then they did a duet version together. I thought that was kind of interesting. In terms of the movie, you know, usually, Steve, when we do this for movies or shows, I find a ton of stuff. I can only say, and this is kind of the only place where we're going to mention this, These are two stars who really were exploited by the Hollywood system. Yeah. And they struggled with drugs. Corey Haim passed away in 2010. And it's kind of a tragic story in a way. I don't know if that's maybe why I didn't find as much. Mm -hmm. That just some people don't feel comfortable revisiting their movies. I think you can still, as we did, like you can still enjoy the work. Right. Even if you know kind of the story, you know, like we didn't talk about with Little House on the Prairie that Michael Landon had an affair with the makeup artist and and all of those kind of things are going on behind the scenes. Right. But um, and I'm sorry for anybody where I just ruined Little House on the Prairie (laughs) for you. But at any rate, you should have listened to our last episode. This was yeah, this was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, which I mentioned because it's one of my favorite cities. I love Wilmington. It's Mm -hmm. so pretty. Um, I lived just outside of it for about four years and it's just a gorgeous place. Um, And the two Corys, um, it's interesting, you know, initially they were kind of competing for roles mm-hmm. and then the studios kind of realized how great they were together as a team. They did nine movies plus a TV show and then a number of things where they had like cameos. Yeah. Um, but The Lost Boys in 1987, Licensed to Drive 1988, This Dream a Little Dream in 1989, Blown Away in 1992, National Lampoon's Last Resort in 1994, Dream a Little Dream 2, which we did not watch, (laughs) was a direct-to-video in 95, busted in 1996, and then they did the TV series The Two Corys, which was like a um, reality show. And then in 2008, they did Lost Boys The Tribe, which was like like a... Sequel to The Lost yeah, Boys? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, so, Corey Feldman's first film role was voicing Copper in The Fox and the Hound. Okay. So, he's the Corey who has the black hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if you're kind of trying to keep track, a lot of people get the Corys mixed up. Um, but he was also in Goonies, Stand By Me, Gremlins, The Burbs, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. He did one of the voices. Corey Haim's first role was in Firstborn in 1984 but he was also starred in lucas just one of the girls the dream machine most of his movies i think that are well known are with Corey feldman as well the ones that i mentioned before so as steve said unlike some other body swap movies this is like freaky friday or is 18 again with george burns where they swap right prelude to a kiss Mm -hmm. also they totally swap bodies there that's a meg ryan 
movie. Mm-hmm. They do like a twist on it, which I think is kind of interesting. So a couple little small details. If you notice, Corey Haim had a cast on. Yes. So he broke his leg four days before filming. So that was a real broken leg. It was a real broken and leg. They put it in a skit. I mean, okay. And, put it and the then partway through <laughs> filming, his cast was able to come off. So then they had to put him in a fake cast that looked yeah. like the real cast that he had just had on, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of funny. And he has a cane the whole movie. And he has a cane the whole movie. Corey Feldman kind of had a, a little bit of an obsession with Michael Jackson. He was in one of Michael Jackson's music videos, and they do a dance sequence where he does kind of Michael Jackson type moves, and he's wearing like the epaulets on the shoulder, mm-hmm. which would have been like that era Michael Jackson. They have in his room, you can't see it too well because of the lighting, but there is in Bobby's bedroom, there's a movie poster for Lost Boys, which okay. they were both in. Two so years it, prior. So it's like a little <clears throat> Easter egg. And the other people in this movie, Meredith Salinger plays Lainey. Um, you might know her from The Journey of Natty Gann. Jason Robards, who plays Coleman, was in All the President's Men, Crimson Tide, tons of stuff. I know him from the... Well, this is another made-for-TV movie I would love to watch. An Inconvenient Woman. Okay. <laughs> he plays like this guy having an affair and then he's got to like get rid of the mistress. And um, Jason Robards is a phenomenal actor. Oh, yeah. He's only one of 24 actors ever to win the actor's triple crown. Oh. He has an Emmy, a Tony, and two Oscars. So he just doesn't have the EGOT. He needs that. So the Golden Globe, that's what he's missing. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. But he's only one of 24 actors ever to have yeah. those three. That's amazing. And Harry Dean Stanton is in this too. And you might know him from Alien, Green Mile, Twister. He's a great actor as well. Yeah. He was also in Twin Peaks, as was Piper Laurie, who plays Gina. I know her most probably from Twin Peaks, but she also was the mom in Carrie, the original Carrie. Okay. Um, And the writer, Daniel Franklin, also wrote the sequel. But a few people worked on the screenplay. And um, yeah, so that's basically, that's kind of all I have in terms of fun facts and, and a little history of the movie. I think it's interesting to have a movie that is inspired by a song. And it's really this, like, uh, watching it back, it's like it's like a slice of the 80s. Yeah. It's I, a very quintessential 80s movie. I think in our fun facts, his, his history section, you, you have to hit the music. because Yeah, I didn't talk about the soundtrack. <laughs> I thought you might hit that in the reception. But let's talk about the soundtrack yeah, real quick it, before our it's break. It's not just Dream, Dream a Little Dream of Me is a phenomenal song. Yeah. But also Time Runs Wild by Danny Wilde is on. Whenever There's a Night. Is by Mike Reno is a great song. Dreams Come True mm-hmm. um, by Lone Justice. Into the Mystic Into by the Van Mystic. Morrison, which is Come one of my on. favorite songs ever. Right? It's The End of the World as We Know It Future's, by R.E.M. Future So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Oh, yeah. Future So Bright, I Gotta there. Wear Shades. Uh, Rock On by Michael Damien. You'd Better Wait by by uh, Fee Waybell. Um I've Got Dreams to Remember by Otis Redding, which is a oh, phenomenal also song. Also great song. Also. I mean, it's just the, the the soundtrack for this movie is phenomenal. Yeah, my mom, ta- my mom and I talked about with Freaky Friday what annoyed me, and then she kind of agreed that all of the songs there were like 
baby boomer era songs Mm -hmm. that had been redone by millennial artists that were all just like faster paced and not as good covers. This, what they really tried to do was have some older songs, you know, and like some contemporary songs and then kind of a mixture in between. And I really appreciated that. I will also say without getting into it too much, it's not just the songs, it's the use of the songs. So Into the Mystic is playing right when they're about to bash into each other. Yeah. It makes the whole moment way more mystical. It yes. really does. And then the R.E.M. song, It's the End of the World as We Know It, as Coleman in Bobby's Body has his first glance at a 1980s high school. Yes. It's so fantastic. And, it's such a brilliant use of music. And, it really, and really near is. the end, as she fell asleep, they're not able to do what he thinks is going to save Gina. Yeah. And it just has him wandering by himself and then him in the dream and it's an empty house. Mm-hmm. And they're playing I've Got Dreams to Remember. Yes. Phenomenal. It really is really great, great choices. Um, So we're going to take our break here. And when we come back, we'll get into our memories and then we'll do our full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you. Help keep our show ad free by visiting our website, stopruiningmychildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small, independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. Just in case you forgot. This is Uh like, what, episode 17? Just in case you don't know us by now. Um, So, Steve, I don't have too many memories of this Mm -hmm. but i'll start with mine because i know you have probably a lot more um my friend christine in fourth and fifth grade she was like obsessed with the two Corys. okay and this girl had like every teen beat magazine with these two guys on the cover just like tiger beat and and whatever teen magazine like covering her walls yeah and um i really for me they're a couple years older than me and i think even maybe a couple years older than you right they're maybe yes, four years I older think than me a little bit older than me yeah so i just never really found either one of them really that attractive <laughs> and when when tiger beat had kirk cameron on the cover and then i bought a copy mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of like again my taste and like no offense sweetie but like very <laughs> cerebral kind of nerdy okay. you know and I might have also bought one with New Kids on the Block or did you, at some point. Were you into the kid from Sequest? Jonathan Brandis? Yes. I don't think so. Okay. I, I feel like... He played like, a nerdy kid. Will, yeah, Will Wheaton. 
Oh, boy. Oh, come on. No, Will Wheaton was like, I had such a crush on Will Wheaton in Star Trek. And and, and everybody else thought he was. When we rewatch it, we'll have to decide as Wesley annoying. <laughs> um, because as a as a 12-year-old girl, I was like, oh, he's so cute and smart. <laughs> but at any rate, I don't think I would really have been allowed to watch this movie. I would have been 10 when it came out. I know I did not see it in theaters. The kids in this are not... It's not like a softer John Hughes kind of view of high school, right? right? They really, I think in a lot of ways, it's quite realistic. And I don't think I would have been allowed to see it, even though there's not, I mean, there's some cursing and they throw around some, there's some violence, I guess, too. I mean, there's not like hardcore violence, there's not sex in it, but at any rate, um, but my friend Christine was obsessed with them, and I know I saw this movie at her house. I also saw Top Gun at her house because she loved Tom Cruise, and I would not have been allowed to watch that movie either. So I got to see some things at my friend's house that I may not have been really Mm. kind of allowed to watch. But that's kind of, to me... You know, it's not so much the movies that I remember of these two. It really is their stardom and how they were everywhere. Yeah. I mean, when I read off those movies, boom, 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 yeah. right? 1986, 1987, 1998, We had this movie at my house. And I mean, I probably saw it for the first time. Well, 89, yeah, it would have been, I would have been around 11, maybe 12. Mm-hmm. And so early adolescence. Um, and for some reason, we had it at my house and it had been taped, mm. like off TV. And so we had it on VHS. And I watched it like religiously. Mm. Um, I just, I loved the story Is it is a young adolescent. I was not huge on the two Corys. Like, I wasn't... But as a, as a teen, especially, I wasn't into, like, pop... Not pop culture, but I wouldn't have been into, like, teen B. All that kind of stuff. Right. I didn't care about celebrity as much, really. Right, yeah. Um, especially teen celebrities. Mm-hmm. But I thought in this movie that Corey Feldman was, like, the coolest. Mm-hmm. Not, like, at the beginning when he's Bobby and he's dressing, like, grunge and ripped jeans. Right. But when he's Coleman trying to dress... And he, I just thought he had the coolest style. Here's what you have to know about Steve. Steve, <laughs> if Steve could dress like a gentleman from the 1920s every day, he would. He would I dress. still do. He does. Yeah, you I, do. I wear waistcoats and ties, and I wear and a pocket watch I that do, I, yep. I got you as a present one time, and hats sometimes yep. when it's not too hot. But I thought Corey Feldman was the coolest in this. Yeah. Um, and also, just the music is phenomenal, even for a teen, a, a, an yeah. adolescent. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it's just. To me, it was a great story. It's got a little bit of... It's a little sci-fi fantasy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's a buddy comedy a little bit. And it's got a romantic story going at the same time. It's a lot of things. And I just think it was... I thought as a teenager, it, it was... it was It blew my mind that not everyone knew what this movie was. Mm. Because I would bring it up and I'd be like, oh, Dream of Little Dreams, one of my favorite movies. And people were like, what? Yeah. And it just blew my mind. Um, But I probably watched this movie 50 times easy. I don't think I've seen it more than once. Maybe twice. 
at my friend's house. But she was kind of like you. She'd seen it like over and over and over. Yeah. And be, I mean, yeah. it helped that we had it, right? But, right. But I would just watch it and watch it. And I just loved this movie. I showed it to like friends. I sh- and I don't think they all saw the, <laughs> the same the same value. value in it that I did. Um, but I loved it. It was great. So memory-wise, it, it does hold a lot of memories. And I kind of enjoyed watching it because I had only seen it once. I really remembered nothing of this movie. It really was like watching it for the first time mm. for me. Um, so let's get into it. We have the opening sequence before the swap. Yep. Right? The opening sequence with the two boys. It's the two. I mean, no, the whole opening. Like, it's like 20 minutes or so. Yeah. It's a little long. Well, it's interesting because you have, there's a buddy dynamic that it shows between the two Corys as they're sleeping over together. Right. And you see just teen boys interacting. Yeah, that's cool. They're kind of just hanging yeah. out. And so it has to set that up for you. And then it has to set up Coleman and Gina and their love and marriage kind of thing. So this is the thing that I kind of question, like, who is this movie for? Because I would assume it would be for older Gen Xers when it first came out, like teenagers at the time. But the opening sequence has a lot of the older people and showing their life. And it's quite gentle. Yeah. But it also is a little bit slow. But let's talk about, this is a highlight for me, the clothes. Because the two boys are hanging out. Corey Haim has bright red hair that's like spiked up and a huge, it's not as long as Mr. T's, but it's a pretty big like cross earring Uh and a bandana around his hair like he's in a gang, but he's not in a gang. No. Corey Feldman, Corey Feldman picked a haircut and just went with that haircut because he still has that haircut today. Yeah, but I will say this. This is this movie probably has his hair the longest I've ever Yeah, it's pretty long. Because at one point in the back, it almost goes halfway down his back. Yeah, it's almost a mullet. But not really. But not really? It's like, a, it's like an 80s hairband. Yeah, that's mullet. a good way of putting it. And he is wearing a shirt, which he does several times, with the sleeves cut off. Yes. So that you can basically see his whole torso. Yes. Yeah. But I love that they are like... They're go. They're cutting back and forth between the kids and the couple, and the kids are like they're singing, kind of. They're smoking. They're fake fighting. They're making fun of moms. Like it really mm. does. This is interesting touches in this movie that they did that really feel authentic. It feels like two dudes hanging out. I almost wonder how much of this scene was just kind Improv. of improv between yeah. the two of them who I mean had already had a working relationship. Yeah. Um but what interested me was when you said that Corey Haim had broke his leg and they and they had to work that in because they, they there's a number of times in the movie including here where it mentions like his mom backed over his foot, <laughs> right? And then Corey Feldman keeps like ripping on him about his mom running over that's him right. throughout the so it just surprised me that they were able to work it in that quick to the script. Yeah, that's hilarious. And can you imagine you have a a, a valuable teenage star and he breaks his yeah. foot like 4 days before you're supposed to film. So in the meantime, the older couple is they're going out to a restaurant, they're mm. visiting with their friend Harry Dean Stanton as their friend Ike. Ike. I called him Jack earlier, but he's Ike. They're eating tofu because <laughs> they're very healthy. Tofu now isn't like that big of a deal, but back then it would have been like well a weird. You know what I mean? A different. It's also she eats bacon and eggs. Yes, it's him, and 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 I think 
as I was thinking, I ne- this never connected to me when I was younger watching this. Mm-hmm. But watching it now, I think it's because they're trying to show even more his like desire to live longer. Yeah. So it's like to- it's health food that nobody in the eighties would have eaten. Yeah. And, really. and at one point when he's in Bobby's body, he's criticizing the other teenagers' lunches. Yeah. He's like, you know how many carbohydrates are in that? Which no one would have thought That's of. It's too much age. cholesterol. Yeah. And he's also doing a lot of Tai Chi. So that's kind of funny. But I also love that he does all these quotes. Like, that's a little tick to his personality. Yes. Um, he quotes at one point. Yeah, and Emerson. So the kids are going through his garden. This is the first time we see him confronting them, right? Yep. And them interacting. And he says, I keep telling you all the time. And then he goes, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, Emerson. And they go, whatever. But I love, so this is the full quote. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his shadow on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's the full quote. And it's like... So his point is this stuff that they're doing of like this hanging out teenage stuff. Mm -hmm. They're wasting their lives and he wants to be a great man with like stuff to do. Right. And he's trying to extend his life. And he also gives this speech to Ike about what he's actually trying to do, which is somehow mystically enter into other people's dreams. And in so doing, extend his life. Yeah, or use dreams to somehow extend his life. To live longer, because with dreams, we don't really know what's real and what's not. And so it seems to be some kind of thing that would like be almost like Einstein's theory of relativity. Yeah. Like if you're yeah. if you're living further outside the earth, you might live longer. Yeah. I don't know. But he wants it for Gina too. Yeah, for Gina, because he loves her. And it's interesting that you mentioned the, the entire Emerson quote, because it mentions it near the end, like, you know, might as well sit and stare at their shadow on the wall. Mm-hmm. And Bobby kind of becomes his shadow. Yeah. He's in his dream, but Bobby still sees what's going on in the world and what he's doing. Yeah. But he's not much more than a shadow. of. And also, that's kind of what Bobby's been doing. Just yeah. looking at shadows on the wall, not really, kind of wasting his life. So he forces his, his wife to do Tai Chi with him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we see what the teenagers are doing, right? And we have Joel, who I'm forgetting the actor's name now, but I forgot to say in the fun facts. Uh, William McNamara. He played the serial killer in Copycat. Oh, oh okay. Not to spoil Copycat for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> There's another serial killer, too, but he's one of them. Yes. So... The girls are doing this aerobics. It looks maybe like they're on the dance team. And they're dressed up like Jane Fonda with leg warmers and tights and leotards. Very form-fitting leotards. Very, very form-fitting leotards. And the guys are kind of talking about them behind their backs. And it's clear Joel's trying to get Lainey into bed. There's also this bully character who's kind of like making... Dumas. Dumas. Yeah. Well, that's clearly code for a different yes. word that we're not going to say because this is a clean podcast. But um, Joel and Dumas are making like very lewd comments about Lainey yeah. and her figure. So my only low light with this whole thing leading up to the switch is that it just, it was quite slow. And I really, I wish we had introduced the characters maybe in a little different way. I don't know how you would have done that, but 
even just a montage showing both of their lives and then get to it. Mm-hmm. But they, they, this movie, and I don't want to kind of ruin my rating, but this movie suffers from some editing issues that I feel like the story is there, but however it got cut, some of the cuts don't make sense. Okay. Um, but we have the, the big crash. Um, Lainey has been making out with her boyfriend, Joel. And Who, who's kind of a scumbag? He's a big I mean, time scumbag. I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's he's just trying to get her in the sack, and he even mentions at one point to Bobby something about like he doesn't know why she won't sleep with him because all the other girls in their class were so easy. Yeah, I mean, he's really and he says, "Have you porked Jenny yet?" Yes. Which is so <laughs> gross. Um, but that kind of comes later. I I have to say too, Joel reminds me. My I had a friend I won't say who who dated this guy who was exactly like Joel. Yeah. And it took her a while into her adulthood to kind of fully get over essentially like kind of what happened to her. Yeah. And he is such a jerk. Um, so he tries to go too far. Laney hops on her bike and rides away. Because that's the thing. Joel is a real dirtbag. But at the same time, it's a weird dynamic because he's kind of friends with, with um, Dinger and Bobby. The two yeah. Corys. Although they kind of... He's their friend, but they're kind of afraid of him because he's sort of crazy. It's it's a weird dynamic. I feel like this is actually, again, pretty authentic, though, because in high school, you do kind of get stuck into these, like, friend groups yeah. where the people might not really be the type of people that you'd hang out with, but you're in high school and you don't have a lot of choices at this yeah. point. And that seems to be, like, they're all kind of, like, the dropout loser types mm-hmm. and they're kind of all therefore hanging out together. Yeah. Right. Dinger and Bobby are clearly actually friends. Right. The other kids are more like, yeah, we go to high school together. We're in the same classes. Like the, the you just happen to yeah. kind of fall well, in that. Yeah. Bobby and Dinger are, are obviously friends. They like stayed over each other's house, things like that. And then the connection is Joel and Bobby are friends. And Joel just kind of puts up with Dinger because he's friends with Bobby. Yeah. Is how it seems. At any rate, they switch places. Lady is on the bike. Bobby's running. They crash into each other. Coleman goes into Bobby's body and Coleman and Gina kind of disappear. Right. Right. So then Coleman in Bobby's body wakes up and the first thing he sees is his parents and Dinger. And his mom is... Victoria Jackson, who was in Saturday Night Live at the time. Yeah. And she's in these curlers and glasses and a bathrobe, and it's hysterical. Yeah. It was one of my highlights at yeah. that point. She plays Kit, his mom. Kit, And yes. Gus, his dad, is played by Alex Rocco. Who's who also... In, who was in The Godfather. Yeah, Alex Rocco's one of those character actors who, yeah. like, is just in a ton of... Yeah. A ton of stuff. So... We have trying to figure out where we are and whatever. And then we come into the high school with, it is a zoo. Yeah. There is graffiti all yeah. over the lockers. Um, nobody seems to be really learning anything. And, he, and he's pl- his entrance is played into, it's the end of the world. Right, which we now. mentioned. And yeah. it's such a great choice. <laughs> and again, when I, when that played, I was like, yeah, that kind of looks like high school. Yeah, like really- ours wasn't. It wasn't graffitied up, but it was, like, way too many people in the hallways. Yeah. 
kids shouting all over the place, somebody making out, somebody else throwing paper balls. I mean, it is like so whoever did this, they had some real touches here that that just were like, yeah, that's what I remember. So Lainey does not remember what happened exactly, but she's tugging her lip, which is a thing Gina did. She can't remember her locker combination. But in this next section, as they're kind of figuring this out and then kind of starting to like date basically and kind of be courted, what are some of your highlights, lowlights there? Well, highlight, to be honest, is 100% the dance routine. Yeah, the dance routine is... I mean, she's a dancer, but he connects with her by dancing. Yeah, And I mean, obviously, it's... A lot of... First off, I mean, Corey Feldman is a talented dancer. Yeah. It's not the only movie he's danced in, right? Yeah. And as you said, he's inspired a lot by Michael Jackson. I mean, these dance moves specifically are very Michael Jackson, right? He's doing a Michael Jackson Um, impression. He's dressed dressed very similar. He's got that fedora hat, the almost like black penny loafers, right? And the idea is that Coleman watched a video of Bobby's 16th birthday. So that's where he's seen these moves. So he was like practicing being Bobby. But she's kind of laughing because she knows that it's an impression. Yes. But but he does mix it up a little bit. Occasionally he comes out of the impression. Yeah. And kind of dances a little bit of his own. Yeah. It's like a mix between like some dance moves like an old man would know. And it is to dream a little dream, the cover. It is to dream a little dream, yes. And and she really kind of falls for that. And my highlight was the date that they go on where he takes her to the restaurant that the couple always went to. He takes her on a horse-driven carriage. They're looking at all the sites of of Wilmington, which you really get to see some of the city, and they're holding hands. And then it all ends because he messes it up. But I thought that that part was so sweet because... You know, in comparison to how Joel's been treating her, this is, he's courting her. He really is, right? And it's this old-fashioned kind of date that he takes her on where her boyfriend has not been treating her well. Not only is he a dirtbag because he he just wants to sleep with her, he's super controlling. Oh, big time. Treats her as an object. And her mom. Well, parents is a real issue here. Yeah. You know, you have Kit and, and Gus. Bobby's parents who don't speak to him. No. They it, talk to each other about him in the third person in, in front, of, front him. of him. Yeah. And, and they tell each other to tell him things. Yeah. You know, so there's a real communication breakdown there. And then also you've got mm. you've got Lainey's mom who's a divorcee who is very manipulative and pretty much just wants to almost it, it, I can't decide if she's really trying to see that Lainey ends up in the best position. But that to her means with the best like man, or if she's trying to live vicariously through her dog. I think it might be bo- a little bit of both. Lainey's mom pissed me off so much during this movie. Yeah. She made me so angry, and I think again, it's because I I know people that were like this, mm-hmm. and they really messed up their kids, and yeah. it, it really is this manipulative like. Well, I didn't get to live the life that I wanted, but this is the type of boy that I would have been with. So you should be. She basically is encouraging her to sleep with him. Pretty almost. Yeah. And when he when he hits her at the school dance, yeah, her mom's like, "What'd you do to provoke him?" Yeah. Oh she was like, no. She no, no. She says, "Oh, you got in a fight." Yeah. Why would you provoke <laughs> Joel that way? Yeah. That's what she says. And I'm like, "Lady, you were a lifetime movie waiting to happen." Yeah. And I don't care for it. 
And she continuously turns on Bobby, although he seems to be the one saving her daughter in most of the situations. Yeah, because he's not passing his classes and stuff like that, which I wouldn't be too happy about that either, and, but and still. he doesn't have the preppy look that Joel has. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, other, the one other highlight I will mention is when Coleman takes the SATs as Bobby. Mm-hmm. Which they're obviously we're concerned about. And Coleman obviously is a very highly educated man. Yes. So not only is he the first to finish the SATs, but he brings it up to the teacher, who's Mickey Thomas. Right. The Who lead did singer the song. from Starship, right. right? He brings up the teacher and he says, Here you go. He goes, Also, I noticed a few of the questions were worded incorrectly, so I corrected them in the test book. Yeah, they were wrong on the face of <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, they were, they were wrong Which on the face of them. Made me laugh because there was always this rumor, and it, it, so far as I can tell, it's not true. Mm. The SATs had two mistakes, one in 1982 and a, a scoring error in 2019. Mm. Um, but there was always this rumor that if you could find a mistake on the SATs, that you would get like full credit for the SAT. Like you would get a perfect <laughs> score. And I don't know if that was a rumor just in my high school. Yeah. But I think it's so funny here that he's like yeah. they're worded wrong. But before you get an automatic perfect score. Yes. Which is hilarious too because I know a few people that got perfect scores after taking it a number of times because you could take the SATs as many times as you want. Yeah. And I know people that take it two or three times and got a perfect score, which to me I mean, if you let a monkey take a test enough times, it's going to get a perfect score, right? I mean, the, the my, purpose is assessment. Take it once, and that's what you get. My, my parents wanted me to take it again, and I was like, no, I feel like yeah. I did okay. I was high enough to, to get into what college I wanted. I, that's I basically fine. what happened. Uh, I did not I, I did not have any – I didn't want to go to an Ivy League, and yeah. I didn't really want to go to, like, a super top, top tier where I would have a lot of yeah. pressure. I was just like – I'm good. But I remember the right 80s, in that pocket. And even in the 90s, when I was in high school, SATs were a huge deal. I don't think there's big of a deal now. Well, actually, since COVID, they really, most schools have dropped standardized testing. And, yeah. and a lot of schools were starting to drop. And now they're like, because they're not a good measurement. Right. And so most schools like move to an algorithm. Where you have like SATs plus grades and whatever. So here, he probably got a perfect score, but he has like D's in all his classes. So another low thing for me is that there are a number of fights in this movie. So there's fights with the bullies and then Joel hits Lainey at one point, as I said. And then another point, Joel goes after one of the bullies with a gun, even though he's really mad at Bobby. Well, Dumas, it's Dumas, the head bully. Right. He goes after the gun because Dumas tripped him and threatened him at the dance. Yeah. But it was after he had already just gotten in the fight with Lainey and Bobby and Lainey ran off. So I think there's a lot of anger there. But, and yeah. Plus he's drinking. Right. The thing about some of these fights is that this... The way that they were done did not seem realistic. And I think this is just a little bit of limitation of acting. Corey Feldman, to me, is underrated as an actor. I actually think he's quite a good actor. Mm -hmm. He shows you in this movie that he can be a punk kid, but also can play a totally different side, right, with Coleman. Oh, yeah, because to me, watching this, I, I you can you can completely buy in that he's an old man in his body. Yeah, he even hunches a yeah. little bit. <clears throat> Meredith Salinger, I'm surprised she didn't do more because she's amazing. Yeah. She really has, in certain scenes, this real vulnerability. In other scenes, she gains a backbone. The other people... Well, after this movie, she left acting for a little while and went to Harvard. Well, there you go. <laughs> that probably is why. Now she does, like, voiceover and smaller parts. She does a lot of voiceover work. But yeah. 
My point is that the two of them are great. Jason Robarts, Piper Laurie, and Harry Dean Stanton are great. Mm -hmm. The other people, eh, especially some of the other teenagers. Yeah. They're just not there. And so what happens is you have these scenes where they get mad all of a sudden and start screaming. But, like, the anger doesn't come out. It doesn't build like real anger would. It's interesting that you mentioned before we move on that you mentioned that, you know, Corey Feldman's acting chops. Because I will say, between the two Corys... You know, I didn't think that Corey Haim was as strong of an actor. This movie plays well because Corey Haim's the sidekick. Yeah. But in movies that they did together, when you look at them across the board, I feel like movies where Corey Haim's the main character and Feldman is a side character or a a sidekick Mm -hmm. aren't as strong. Yeah. As the movies where Feldman is the main character and Corey, because the acting ability just goes that way naturally. His early movie, Lucas, he plays this, like, really small kid who's very vulnerable. And yeah. I, I feel like... In the football. In, in the in, yeah. yeah, in football. And I feel like I buy that more here where he's supposed to be kind of a punk. I think they dyed his hair red because he didn't look punk enough. He has still a kind of a baby face. Mm-hmm. And they also, I will say, to be fair to him, they don't give him as much to do. Right. He really... He's comic I, relief. In yeah, a way. I remembered him being in this movie a lot more. Yeah. And I think that the Joel character kind of overshadows where mm. it's more like in some scenes, it seems more like Corey Feldman has two best friends. Right. And one of them's a jerk and one of them's Stinger. Yeah. <laughs> I also kind of wish that this has been like the movie Big and I wish that he had told Dinger his secret because right. he goes to Ike Harry Dean Stanton's character, and he convinces Ike that he's Coleman. But Dinger is really trying to help him so much. Every scene, Dinger is just trying to be a good guy and help him. Yeah. And every scene, he's like, I have to go be by myself, Dinger. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of put, you know, puts him off. Um, so at any rate, we get to the dance, um, and then Lainey goes home. They have all been drinking. Lainey goes home and Bobby goes to stop Joel, who's taken a gun to to confront Dumas. Right. So what did you think of this part of the movie? I thought this part of the movie was great, actually, because, again, this is where Bobby sort of fixes things. Mm -hmm. Because that, you know, 70-year-old, 80-year-old Coleman that's inside his body is able to look at it and say, listen, this is teen bullshit. Yeah. Like, when you're a kid, everything is a big deal. And this is not, like, even the bullying, like, I beat up Dumas, Dumas beat up me. Like, we all, right, everybody was doing it, and this is stupid. And even Joel, his obsession with Lainey, is, it's 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 not a big thing, right? And he's like, you know, he even tells me, he's like, I didn't steal your girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Like, she really wasn't into you anyway because you're a jerk. Yes. And then, you know, he basically, and at one point I think Joel says, you're lucky I'm not pointing this at you. And he's like, you should then. Yeah. To get it away from Dumas. But also, you know, he's like, obviously you're mad at me too. And he basically just tells them all off at the fact that they're just being stupid. And he's like, I'm going to go have a beer. And if anyone wants to join me, like, let's do that. And I feel like it was, I feel like it was well done. And that the point to it speaks to adult, to teenagers. Yeah, to me, this reminded me of Pump Up the Volume okay. in a way. Yep. Because <laughs> it really is a movie about Gen X angst. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's about the angst that our generation went through with 
you know, you see our generation was really the first to have a huge divorce rate. Mm-hmm. And you see Lainey being a fit. Like, Lainey talks about how her dad wasn't there. And Joel kind of stepped in right after her dad left her family. And that's one. So she's got, like, some problems with that. Corey Feldman is like, my parents are like these baby boomers who just go to work and come home and talk to each other. And they don't care about me. Right? We don't even see Dinger's parents. I don't even know what's up with them. You never. His mom is mentioned for running him over. Yes. And you never see her. So... Kind of similar to Pump Up the Volume, it is like somebody kind of trying to grapple with being a teenager in this time when a lot of people in our generation don't trust authority because of the things we've been through, right? Like during this, like historically, the stuff with the Catholic Church came out, the divorce rates were high. um, We haven't even hit Bill Clinton yet, Right. (laughs) right? So all of that kind of thing. And when he gives this talk, to me, what's great about it is that this is why a lot of school violence happens Mm -hmm. and also why a lot of the violence in our country is between young men because they don't see past the circumstances that they're in. It's over stupid things they've blown way out of proportion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or that they're stuck in this town. They're stuck in this high school. They feel stuck. They don't see past it. They can't see a future for themselves. And that's where Corey Feldman's character, Bobby, really is. He likes the dream world because he doesn't see a future for himself in the real one. And Coleman's like, I can fix that for you because he's in a place where he can't, he's trying to see a future and all he sees is himself getting older and not Mm -hmm. having a future, right? So in some ways they're kind of even though Coleman is probably like silent generation, like before yeah. baby boomers. So he kind of learned something from him being that he's in his head kind of watching all this go down. I really did think that, you know, the acting may not have been the best in that scene, but it's an important scene. My low light is that Lainey's mom slips her a Mickey and tells her boyfriend... Lainey's mom's boyfriend. Right. Gary. That I don't Or whatever Ron, is it. Ron. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So Ron gives Lainey a white wine with that's been drugged. With a sleeping pill. With a it. sleeping yeah. pill. By the way, she's already been smacked around today. Yeah. And then they send her up to just go to bed and sleep it off. She's been slapped by her boyfriend she's trying to break up with. Yeah. And then. Blamed she's for been it. grabbed and thrown in a car with her, parent, with her mom and her mom's boyfriend knowing that Bobby is off to confront Joel with a gun. Right. Yeah. And then they put then they drug her. Yeah. None of the parents care about that. Oh my goodness. So um so she falls asleep. Bobby, after making the big speech and making peace with everybody, goes to break into her window, bloodies his knuckles, and then gets blood all over her face. Mm-hmm. Which then the mom thinks she's like, what she what did he do to you? Like kind of not realizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go through the whole thing where Coleman um, doesn't fall asleep and then he's restored to his body. Gina's restored to hers. And somehow Bobby and Lainey are together. Because and... I think Lainey remembers everything. Oh, yeah. And Bobby saw what went on. And was in love with her to begin with. Was in love with. with her to begin with, right? But the mom is, who cares? 
Like they're well, they're Romeo Lainey and Juliet prob- now. Well, Lainey has a lot to hold on her mom now because she's drugged her. That's true. <laughs> right. I would have. I'd be like, you're gonna stay out of my crap, or I'm gonna tell CPS you drugged me. She also has a broken window with Bobby's blood all over it. Yes. So I feel like these two have a little bit to overcome. And it's you know it's interesting because <laughs> as as a teen watching this movie, a lot of times I was looking at it going. Okay, Bobby's going a bit far. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's freaking out. He smashes her window to try to wake her up. Right? But then also, now I'm watching it as an adult. And I mean, obviously, you could say, yeah, that's still too far. But at the same time, I'm going, this is an old man. Mm-hmm. Right? Now that I'm a married man and you and I are are together. Y'all get in love. Right? And in love. <laughs> right? I have to think to myself, like... If you've been, if you're staring down the barrel of losing your partner forever, yeah. what are the lengths you would go to? I would break that window, and that's what he's thinking. Yeah, I would you know, break to the him, window. He's thinking of losing Gina forever if she falls asleep. I don't like the Deus Ex Machina ending where it was kind of a lie. I feel like there was no real need to make it a lie. Like just say you stayed awake, and somehow that you know, look, I don't understand. Even if he had said, yeah. I don't understand all the physics of it, dude. Like, you know. Well, you think it but, was a lie on Bobby's part because Bobby didn't want to go back. And so yeah, the but lie I, was to try to make it seem like a bigger, you know. I But even one more line to say, like, I really didn't want to come back, but you fixed my life. And just leave it at that. Right. Instead of just, I, there again, the editing. Yeah. It's just a little choppy. And I, I it didn't have to be, you know. I mean, Bobby, when they see him, but when he sees Bobby next with Lainey, you know, he seems happier. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Bobby did not return to his old dressing. No, he didn't. He he's changed st- he's, a little he's bit. He's got his hair in a ponytail and he's dressed a little nicer because yep. he's got a girlfriend now, a nice girlfriend. Well, he had a girlfriend. Well, but, yeah. yeah. Leia, what was her name? Jenny. Shelly. Shelly. Yeah. Uh, Shelly looked like she stepped out of like a metal uh, 80s hair band video. Well, everybody's um, struggling in like, this movie. Let's just yeah. not, let's not judge like, Shelly. But. Um, but he seems happier and he's respectful. Yes. Of Coleman, there's that there's that respect there, which shows I think. You and know. he sees the value right in looking toward your future and having a longer life with the person that you care about. And maybe it doesn't work out. I don't know because I didn't watch the second one. I read the synopsis and I was like, right. no, thank you. The second one is about a magical pair of sunglasses. Well, yeah, we're not going to. <laughs> so I don't want it to ruin my. We don't ruin. We won't ruin Steve's childhood today. <laughs> so that's all right. Anyway, so that's the ending. Is is. Bobby ends up with Lainey. They're both in their own bodies, and they're an item now walking to school. Coleman and Gina are restored. They're back together, and Gina says, do you want to go meditate or think in your office? And Coleman says, no, I think I'm going to just spend my time with you. Yeah, so they Um, both learn lessons. It's both lessons. And so... So before we get to our rating, what was the reception at the time? Um, this <laughs> the movie made five and a half million dollars at the box office. Mm. She's not huge. It wasn't didn't have a full release. How much did it? It, it was released in about eleven hundred theaters. Oh, okay. Um, it didn't. I didn't. There wasn't a list of how much it cost to make. Okay. Um, but I mean, there's not a lot of special effects or anything. There's really. probably at <laughs> the time my estimate would be around 4,000 theaters in the U.S. So 1,000 or 1,100 really isn't that many. It's not a huge release. Yeah. It's got a, its reception was not great. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 9%. Okay. Um, Metacritic gives it a 32% out Mm -hmm. of 100. Do you know what Roger Ebert said about it? No. (laughs) What did he say? He said, I always said there was no Harry Dean Stanton movie I didn't like. 
here I might have to make an exception. Well, Roger Ebert can go jump in a lake. Um, <laughs> well, because... we've talked about Return to the Valley of the Dolls. Yes. It's the only movie he ever wrote. So, at any rate, not a great reception, but what did we think of it? So, we are rating on clouds, 1 out of 10. Is there some spots that it doesn't hold up? Yeah. I think so. And the editing, again... The beginning is a bit long, and there are parts that are choppy. I feel like the story's there, and this is, like, sometimes I, as an editor of books, I sometimes think about this when I read a book. Like, there's a story here. It just wasn't put together the right way. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. But listen. I think someone trying to watch it now would have an issue, because first off, there's no phones in the whole movie. Yeah. Not only no cell phones, no no one uses phones. No, that's true. Not that they don't exist, but no one calls people in this movie. They're all meeting up person. They're also they never watch TV either. When they when they're hanging out, they're not watching TV, which is interesting. Also, there's the piece where when when Coleman as Bobby does try to make a connection with Dinger, puts his arm around him, and Dinger says, "Are you going?" Yeah, kind of gay. They and he use, makes a reference. They use some slurs for homosexual people yeah. in here that are not cool and would not fly today, and really shouldn't have flown back then. But th- so again, this is like a lot of the movies we run into stuff that today is problematic, yeah. right? But the editing, there's a problem with the editing. I feel like there's a movie in here though that. I did enjoy watching it for the most part. I think Corey Feldman was good. I think the adult actors were great. I think that, you know, the parents made me angry, but they were meant to, you know? I think Meredith Salinger Oh, Meredith Salinger was amazing. Was and she's she's gorgeous. The well, fact that she even, the fact she does voiceover work now, I think, is a waste. I know. She's gorgeous. She's still gorgeous. Yeah. And at some point, we have to review The Journey of Natty Gann, because I haven't seen that movie probably since it, like, at least 1985 or 6. she's done that before this movie. She's quite young, and, and yeah. it's, I think, John Cusack's first movie. It, John Cusack is in it, yep. So, at any rate, out of clouds, Steve Hall, what did you give it? Does it hold up to your childhood memory? I mean, we mentioned there's a few problematic pieces to it, but I, st- I have to give it, the lowest I could give it is Eight Clouds. Okay. I have to give it, because I still think it's a phenomenal movie. I think the, the editing, as you mentioned, is an issue. I'm not saying cinematically. I'm saying story-wise. It's a buddy movie. It's a fantasy piece. It's a love story. It's, it's a rom- mystery. It's a romance. There's yeah. a bit of mystery. I think the dream sequence, I just think it's really... There's, the music is phenomenal. Yeah. It's just it's and still I, in the top of my list. And I think that a lot of it is very, to me, very reminiscent of that time. And even though it's a little bit older than I would have been at the time, I think they're 17 here and I would have been mm. 10. But um, pretty close. And a lot of it is pretty authentic to what teenagers actually go through. Right. Which most teenage movies really aren't. As much as I love things like The Breakfast Club or whatever, it in a lot of ways it's not realistic, right? And here I feel like it kind of was. So I'm going to go with a seven. Not it, perfect. It, <clears throat> I did like it. The, the thing that gets me is, like we say, does it hold up? Did I ruin my childhood, right? Watching it back when I did, I watched as a teenager and said, this is a great teenage movie. I love it. Yeah. Watching it now as an adult mm-hmm. in my 40s, okay? <laughs> um I can watch it and the romance part of it hits me. Yeah. And the older couple. And and I can just, 
it, it hits on different levels, but it still holds. I yeah, think. that's true. The romance really, not so much between Lainey and Bobby, but between Coleman and his wife. Right. You really do feel, and even when Bobby asks Lainey, are you in love with Joel? She's like, I'm in high school, who cares? Right. But, but really... Coleman's trying to get at the fact that this is a love that kind of transcends everything. Yeah, so, it's the Coleman Gina love, but that transitions through yeah. Bobby Laney. And then they learn yeah. something. So it really, hey, it's on Amazon Prime, was IMDb TV, and now it's free TV, or free V through Amazon. I don't okay. know, they're rebranding in like a week, or by the time this comes out, they probably already rebranded. So total we have... Seven and, and a half, half clouds. clouds. And you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. It's ad supported. So the ads do cut in, but it is for free. And so is the sequel. So if you want to watch something crazy about um, weird uh, sunglasses that you can control people with. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 and so before we close out, we have a sneak preview for next time. So this is our segment. What is Steve willing to watch? Our upcoming cartoon next week is Transformers. Okay. So we're trying to kind of mix it up. We watched uh, Muppet Babies was our last cartoon, which was a Megan pick. Transformers is a Steve pick. So we're going to watch. These are my picks, and then I'll read to you five, and you can pick one. Okay. So I picked the pilot, More Than Meets the Eye, Mm -hmm. so we can watch the pilot. And season two, episode three, Dinobot Island Nice choice. I just went by the name. I mean, I, I know the cartoon. Nice choice. All right. So, Steve, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Season one, episode 13, Fire in the Sky. Megatron believes that the key to a Decepticon victory lies in the North Pole. The brilliant... You don't fr- have to go any further. I owned it. I know that episode very well. Well, but the people listening don't. (laughs) The brilliant frozen Skyfire has been waiting there for millions of years. Sorry, people at home. Season 2, episode 42, Trans-Europe Express. Autobots are suddenly Europe-bound for a charity race. (laughs) Number 3, season 1, episode 16, A Plague of Insecticons. The Insecticons have come to Earth. They certainly give the Autobots and the Decepticons reason to take notice. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't give you much, but Insecticons, you can kind of, yeah. they're insect. Season 2, Episode 9, Atlantis Arise. The Decepticons stumble upon the legendary Atlantis, which could prove invaluable to winning the war. And, number 5, Season 2, Episode 22, A Deceptive Raider in King Arthur's Court. The discovery of a mysterious time transporter sends Spike and the Transformers to medieval times, where Starscream plots to take over the home of a knight. So, we have the North Pole, we have a charity race, we have Insecticons, we have Atlantis, and we have King Arthur's Court. I, mm, part of me really wants to go with, the, with Fire in the Sky, North Pole, because I owned it and I've seen that a lot. But I feel like... I want to do something new, so let's go with the Atlantis one. All right, we will go with Atlantis. I was I I I was kind of hoping for that because I'm very curious as to. I really like seeing different depictions of Atlantis, like how different people kind of interpret it. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be really fun. So 
We always put out the blog about what we're going to watch, what's coming up. It always comes out a week ahead of time. So when this episode comes out, the blog will also be up for Transformers. Yeah. So we definitely encourage you guys to watch with us. Our sequence coming up is going to be Transformers is our cartoon. The week after that, we're doing Greatest American Hero. And the week after that, we had a fan suggestion, and this was Steve's choice last time. Flight of the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. So that's what's coming up. Watch with us. Like, subscribe, follow. You can watch us on YouTube now. You can listen pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. And you can follow us. We're most active on Facebook. We have a Twitter, and we have an Instagram I haven't done anything with yet. But we're we're definitely active on Facebook and we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.